Awesome. Hey, well, I'm gonna, I've got a, uh, a bit I want to cover this morning, especially, I've got, we're going to read a bit of the Bible. Is that okay? Half of you are like, yep, yep, that's okay. Well, the other half, you can just roll with us. I, I reckon the Word of God, my theory is the more Word of God that goes out, the more chance of His purpose being achieved. Get my stuff out of the way. Hey, the title of my message this morning is uh, Moved to Get Moving. But firstly, before I begin, I just need to begin with Up the Wars. How good was that? Go the All Blacks. Yes, yeah. Well, Richter said, you know, uh, that we, it's great that God is bigger than sport. But man, sometimes sport is good. <laughs> that was a great game last night, I do have to say. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever been moved by something? A good movie? A documentary? For me, every time I watch the TV series, movie series, Band of Brothers, oh, every time. Every time it gets me. Perhaps a good song can move you. Maybe hearing somebody share a personal story or a testimony, that might move you. It can be standing in the presence of God in worship. You might be moved. You might be going to a camp or you might go to a a conference and you get moved. Lots of things can move us. But how often are we moved to get moving? Moved to do something about it. So that is why my title is called Move to Get Moving. This morning, I'm going to look at the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who was moved. To give you a bit of context here this morning, the book of Nehemiah is the personal account of the man Nehemiah. He wrote it himself. He was a cupbearer to the king of the Persian Empire, the greatest empire the world had known till its time. The Roman Empire was the only one to surpass it in size. So big empire. And so to be cupbearer to the king actually was a pretty amazing position to be in. Nehemiah follows on from the book of Ezra. In Ezra, Israelite exiles return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And Nehemiah's story takes place not long after this, approximately 13 years after Ezra led the exiles back. Now, Nehemiah was an Israelite whose family had been brought from Israel to Babylon after being taken captive by the Persian king Nebuchadnezzar who conquered Israel in 586 BC. There's your history lesson covered. You can say you might have learned something this morning. Nehemiah was born in Babylon. He never knew or had never been to Jerusalem. Now, we want to look at Nehemiah this morning because he is an amazing example of an ordinary man who did something extraordinary. Nehemiah 1, we're going to read a few verses to begin this morning. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. I think that's how you say it. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. First thing we see about Nehemiah is he was moved. His heart was moved. His heart was moved when he heard of Jerusalem being in ruin. His homeland, the significant city of Jerusalem being in ruin and the people being a disgrace. He was moved to tears and to mourning. I've been moved, but I've never been that moved. Moved to be mourning over a city in ruin. 
What Hanani shared caused Nehemiah to break down and weep. When I first read this account, I assumed Nehemiah was someone set apart, you know, chosen, that God had called him, that this, this was all a God set up event. I thought he was moved because God chose to move his heart. But the more I read this, this book of Nehemiah, the clearer it became that Nehemiah was moved because his heart was open to be moved. There's a difference. You see, in the book of Nehemiah, there are no miracles, no supernatural events. There's no burning bush that talks to him, no Red Sea that parts, no mana falls from heaven, no enemy walls fall down. What we see throughout Nehemiah's account is God's favor on Nehemiah as he moves. Nehemiah is really just an ordinary person, functioning in his role as cupbearer to the king. But I, I do want it to be, make it clear, I will not belittle Nehemiah's role as he was in a trusted position serving the king of the greatest empire on planet earth at that time. But it is important that we do not think of Nehemiah as being above whatever position we might hold. And I think that's really important. Too often we think or talk ourselves out of doing something bold, courageous, or even uncomfortable. We say, I'm not the right person. Nehemiah was an ordinary person. He was not a prophet, a king, a priest, or a war hero. What he did was extraordinary. Nothing supernatural or miraculous happened, but an ordinary man stepped out and something extraordinary happened. Or you could say, God hasn't called me. That's another great one. Nehemiah did not seek or ask God for this. He was not told by God to do anything. He simply listened to his brother's report of Jerusalem and it moved his heart. Another thing we say to ourselves is, I can't do that. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He became a wall builder. His years of cupbearing had prepared him to build walls. No, it hadn't. He'd just been a cupbearer. But he was so moved, he became a wall builder. He was so moved, he stepped into something that was new and different. What makes Nehemiah's account so extraordinary is that his heart was open to being moved by God. His heart was open to being moved by God. The question I ask of you, and I ask it of myself, how movable is my heart? How movable is your heart? Like if God has a purpose he wants to outwork in the city, can he move your heart to do it? Can he move our hearts to do it? Got very quiet really quickly just then. Can God move your heart for his cause or his purpose? Now Nehemiah was not just moved, he was moved to get moving. In Nehemiah 1 verse 5 to 11 it says, Then I said, Lord... The God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people 
whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That's Nehemiah's prayer after he was so moved. The second thing I, I think that strikes me about Nehemiah was Nehemiah was moved to get moving. He prepared himself. It says that he prayed and fasted. Now, between the months of Kislev and Nisan in the Babylonian calendar, that's four to five months. He was praying and fasting on and off for four to five months. He was so moved that he took time to prepare himself, to seek the Lord, to cry out to God. So often, you know, we get moved by a moment, but then that moment passes and we go back to what we were doing. But he was moved and he began to pray and fast. You see, when you pray and fast, you position yourself for change. Because you're choosing to say, God, I'm putting you first above what I think I need. Four to five months. That's amazing. It reminds me of 2 Chronicles 7.14 where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. God, let that be on our nation. Let that be in New Zealand. So he prepared himself by praying and fasting. He prepared himself by repenting on behalf of his people. How amazing that is. In verse 6, it says he was repenting. He was apologizing for the sins of his father and the sins of his people. He was repenting. And what it shows again is that a repentant heart is an open heart. His heart was so open to God. He was like, man, we've got to get everything right that we need to get right. There's things in your heart right now that you know need to get resolved. Let's get them resolved. There's unrepentance there. If there is hurt there, if there is brokenness there, let's heal it. Let's restore it. Let's take that time. Because I think we can often have a, a God touch in our life and then think, oh, that's cool. Now everything doesn't matter. But God's like, no, we still need to deal with this. We still need to heal this area. Or we need to resolve this issue. Third thing he did is he reminded God of the word God had spoken over his people. I love this, that he actually reminded God of what God had said about his people. You know, we can declare the word of God. We can proclaim the word of God over our situations, over our circumstances, over whatever we're facing. In verse 1, it says in Nehemiah 1 verse 8, verse 8, Nehemiah says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will give, gather them from there and bring them to, to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He reminds God of what he'd spoken about his people. It's important that we remind God, and, we rem and by reminding God, we're reminding ourselves of what God has spoken over our lives. Verses, passages, we, could, we continue to declare them because they are God's truth. They are truth that we need to hold on to. And then finally, Nehemiah prepared himself to speak to the king. That last verse, that last part of that prayer, he says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He knew he was going to speak up to the king. He knew he was about to raise his voice and speak up to the king. And Nehemiah 2 
Verse 2, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. He did his job really well. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The third thing that strikes me about Nehemiah is Nehemiah overcame his fear. Nehemiah overcame his fear and stepped out in faith. He spoke up about the need of his people and their homeland. Fear is one of the greatest preventers of faith. Fear often comes before taking a step of faith, taking a risk, having a go at something new. Fear is right there to try and stop us. Nehemiah had every right to be afraid. Because in our context today, we we don't quite understand, we can't quite fathom it, but the king could have decided in that moment that if this guy is speaking up, if he didn't like what he said, he could have had him executed. His life would be over. Nehemiah knew that there was a risk in speaking up. But Nehemiah did not ignore his fear. He just kept moving. I love that verse. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. So out of his fear, he stepped out into faith. A good friend recently sent me a YouTube video of a TED Talk. It was titled Listening to Shame by a speaker called Brené Brown. I'm not sure if anyone's ever seen that one, but in this talk, she uses a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. And this quote I thought was awesome, so I'm going to share it with us this morning. It is not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails daring greatly. So that this place shall never be, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. We're going to use this image of the arena, of a stadium, and I've got a picture I want to put up. I support the Indianapolis Colts, so this is my shameless promotion of my NFL team. That's their home stadium right there. So there you get a picture of an arena, about 70,000 people in that stadium. And on the field, the players are playing. But you can see this crowd, this crowd full of noise and loud yelling and screaming and all kinds of things going on. We're going to use this image of an arena. If you are on the field moving into action, you are surrounded by many voices in the crowd. There is the voice of faith. We can do this. The voice of courage, the voice of confidence, the voice of encouragement. But there are also the voices of fear. What if I fail? What if this goes bad? Or doubt. You can't do this. You're not qualified. You don't have enough experience. 
or discouragement. You failed before. You're going to fail again. Shame. If everyone knew who you really were, how could you do anything good after what you've done in your past? These are the voices sitting there in that stadium yelling at you. We cannot control the voices that will be coming at us, but we can choose the ones we listen to. We can choose who we give the front row seats to. We have the choice of who we put on the front row of our lives. The people that we decide, I'm going to listen to them. Those voices that we know are going to encourage and strengthen and build us up. And we have the same decision to say, I know you're here, fear, but your seat's way up the back. I know you're here, doubt, but your seat's way up the back as well. Oh, shame, I know you're in the room, but you're sitting up there. We actually have the choice of where those things sit. You actually have a choice of who you're going to listen to and who you're going to surround yourself with. You know what? I'm saying this because this has been like a revelation to me. Because for so long, I was the person listening to shame and doubt and fear, and they were the ones that were loudest in my life. They were so loud until I realized I've got to take them out of the front row seat and put them in the back. I'm not saying to them, you don't, you're not, you know, get out of here and never come back again, because life, you just can't control that. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, fear, you know, you're never allowed here again. I just say, fear, I know you're here, but you're sitting up there. Doubt, I know you're here. I know you're here. I can feel your presence. I can hear your breathing. It stinks. But you go sit up there. And I say to those closest to me, my wife, my family, my close friends, you come sit on the front row. I say to faith, your seat's right there on the front row. I say to courage, I say to boldness, you come sit up the front row. I make a choice to put those on the front row. You see, we've all got that choice. You may be sitting there thinking, oh, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, an extravagant leader like Nehemiah. Well, he wasn't an extravagant leader. He was a cupbearer who knew fear and chose to step out in faith anyway. He said, fear, I can hear you, but I'm choosing faith. And I feel like, church, that for every single one of us sitting in this room, if we could kind of capture a little bit of this today, and take it and bring it into our world, that every single one of us in this room can be moved to get moving. Every single one of us in this place has something that God has set apart for you, that God is calling us into. I love it. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, Nehemiah did not ignore his fear. He just kept moving. Nehemiah had negative voices coming against him throughout his journey to rebuild the walls and the city of Jerusalem. But he kept moving and trusting God. What's amazing is that in this first instance, Nehemiah is afraid to speak up to the king. It's like this personal battle that's going on of, do I listen to fear or do I listen to faith? But from there, the voices actually become external and they become actual people speaking against him. But because he's kind of taken the stand and like, I'm going to listen to faith, not fear. When those other voices come, he just ignores them. You read through Nehemiah and you watch his incredible ability to say, I hear you fear, but I'm listening to faith. I can hear you doubt, but I'm trusting God. Church, I believe that's something that God wants all of us to grab a hold of. Nehemiah verse 2 
no, chapter 2, sorry, verse 4 to 9, it says, Then the king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I love it. I prayed to the God of heaven. I can imagine it like one of those under the breath prayers. God, help me to say the right things here. Help me not to mark it up. Do I want a new car? Do I want a new house? No, no, I don't want that. I want this. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king and your, ser- and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judea where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, and this is where Nehemiah gets a little bit of boldness, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judea. And may, I ha- and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so I'll have the timber to make the beams for the gates and the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I'll occupy. Nehemiah is basically saying, I want you to fund what I'm about to do. It's amazing how when we step out and we start moving, how God gets involved and starts moving too. You see, Nehemiah stepped out from his place of comfort and he said to the king, this is, why I'm a, this is why I'm so sad. And the king responds saying, what do you want? He, the, I mean, can you fathom that? The empire of the greatest, the, the, the king of the greatest empire of the known world asks you, what do you want? About, it'll be about at that point, I'll be like, I think God might be with me. I think God might be in this. And he doesn't just say, you know, like, oh, you know, just can you give me safe passage? He's like, also, can you provide all the materials? And the king does. He gives him the letters. He gives him safe passage to get to Israel because it's actually a massive journey, thousands of miles to get from Babylon to uh, Jerusalem, a huge journey. And I love it. Reading on, it says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and I gave him the king's letters. The king had also sent an army officers and cavalry with me to protect him. The final thing about Nehemiah is that as Nehemiah moved, God moved for him. As Nehemiah stepped out in faith, God began to move. How many here this morning have been in that place where you started to move and God started to move with you? Like, actually, who's been in that place? Isn't that interesting? So you, you know what that's like. So God is still doing that. So we need to keep moving. So there are new things to do. That God actually doesn't say, okay, you've done your bit now. I'm withdrawing my favor and leaving you alone. I actually think God moves right with us every step we take. That actually, that thing that has been stirring in your spirit that as you begin to move, I believe you'll see God move with you. God's favor came upon them. Nehemiah's step of faith opened the door for Jerusalem to be restored. If he had said nothing to the king, nothing would have changed. This is where it gets a little bit challenging. Yeah, you can do nothing. You don't have to move. You don't have to step out in faith. But just know nothing will change. Sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? But actually, God wants to work with us. He actually wants to move upon us. 
that as we step out, his favor comes upon us. So I want to encourage some people here this morning who actually are stirred and are moved to do something, go for it. That thing that's been weighing on your heart that you've actually been praying about for a long time, it's time to move. I say that because actually like, there's no time like the present. There's actually a world that is broken and in need of Jesus out there. That our world needs God. We're trying to find answers in everything, but we need people of faith to step up and say, let's get moving. Let's step out. Let's restore that thing. Let's heal that thing. Let's bring breakthrough into that area. One of the band, you can jump up and join me. Nehemiah's step of faith opened a door of favor. God was with Nehemiah. Again, the picture just blows my mind that got that the emperor of the greatest empire, the, the king of the greatest empire listens to his cupbearer and says, you know what? I'm going to give you everything you need to go and build that city that I destroyed. <laughs> well, not I destroyed, his predecessors destroyed. But it just shows you how when God, when we begin to move and God lands on it, the favor that comes, the anointing, the blessing that flows. He went back. Now, this morning, I'm not even going to go into the rest of Nehemiah. That's just the first part of the passage because there's too much in it. Because this is an ordinary guy who goes on to do an extraordinary things. But I will just say this. Nehemiah went back and they rebuilt the walls in about 52 or 56 days. Like they rebuilt a stone wall. I mean, gosh, we're struggling to build houses, you know, one house. You know, they built, rebuilt the walls of a city in 52 days. Absolutely phenomenal. But then Nehemiah stayed there for 12 years to restore the people, to rebuild the city. And then it says that he returned back to the emperor into his role as a cupbearer. How incredible is that? He steps out, does what he felt God moved him to do. And then he was, he was a man of such honor and integrity, he went back to his role and served a foreign emperor. But he knew that he had restored his city. He'd restored the city of Jerusalem. What a phenomenal legacy that is. His story is written in the Word of God because he got moved and he got moving. I was reading, uh, I do a devotional, daily devotional called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. I read it every, it's got a, it's a year-long calendar. And on Friday, the 15th of September, which was Friday just been, this is one of the quotes that was in my reading. The greatest spiritual crisis comes when a person has to move a little farther on in his faith than the beliefs he has already accepted. Taking another step. So I want to challenge you who have stepped out and seen God do wonderful things. It's time to step again. It's time to take another step. To take a step of faith. I think of all the youth that were at the youth camp last week. It sounds like it was a phenomenal time. Uh, Harry Slade spoke last Sunday, eh? and that was just awesome, just powerful. You were moved to get moving. God doesn't leave things at the camp. It's not like, oh man, can't wait for next year when we go back to the camp. Now the camp is just literally just a building and some fields and a whole lot of injuries by the sounds of it. But the thing is, God moves you there to get moving. He moves you in that place because He has greater plans and purposes that He wants you to outwork. I say that because I was a kid at those camps. God moved my heart. 
And as I started to move, I noticed God was with me. Nehemiah's heart, Nehemiah's heart was moved. Nehemiah was moved to get moving. Nehemiah overcame the fear that stood in his way. Nehemiah moved and God moved for him. I wonder if you'd join me in prayer as we uh, bring this message to a close. Just, just in your own place where you are right now, just close your eyes. And we're just going to pray because there's people here today and you are being moved. You have been moved. You've been stirred by a God thing. And you kind of have been questioning it. You've been wrestling with it. You've been thinking, oh, am I just being selfish? Or oh, I can't do that. And you've been wrestling with it. And I really felt that this, this message, the story of Nehemiah is for you because he's an ordinary guy who started moving and did something extraordinary. There was no supernatural signs or wonders. There was a man who chose to believe in God and to step out in faith, and he did something extraordinary. And I want to I encourage you, those people that you're in that place and you're wrestling with this thing, take a step. Just, just take a step. Whatever that looks like in your situation, whatever that looks like in what you're facing, take a step. Maybe it's having that conversation with that person. Maybe it's going to, to meet with that organization and, and actually bringing up what you feel and what, you, what has been weighed on your heart. Maybe it's talking to a friend or a wise counsel and saying, hey, I've been stirred by this thing. And I've been thinking about this, doing this thing or activating this or stepping into this. But take a step. Begin to move because I, I really believe God is a God of momentum. He's a God of movement that as we start to take steps, He lands on our movement and the doors start to open. The clarity starts to come. The direction starts to come. The, the provision, the, the guidance, the leading, it starts to flow as we begin to move. You can't turn a parked car. You can only turn it as it's moving, as it's going forward, as there's momentum. And I, and I say this to us. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to us this morning that, man, we've, we've got to move. We've got to take these steps of faith. Next year, is, it's too far away. We need to start moving. We need to start moving. So Father God, I pray, Lord, today for every person here in this place this morning, Lord God, and God, particularly for those who are sitting here and who are stirred in their hearts and are reminded right now of that thing, that area, that that part of your life that's been stirred or you've been moved by. God, I pray for faith to become louder than fear. I pray, Father, for boldness to become louder than doubt. God, I pray for strength and for courage. Lord, as you said to Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong, be courageous. He doesn't ask you to do it. He commands you to do it. Be strong. Be courageous. Father God, I pray that those voices of fear and doubt and discouragement, God, we don't, we don't ignore them. We don't wait for them to stop. We just tell them where to go. Your seats are way up the back. Your seats are not up the front anymore. You are not the loud voice. I know you're here, fear. I know you're trying doubt. I know you're trying to discourage me, but I choose faith. I choose courage. 
I choose to trust in the Word of God that says, if my God is for me, who can be against me? That greater is He that's living in me than he that is in the world. Father God, I pray as we as we lead into this uh, conference next weekend, Father, we pray for more than just a move, Lord, more than just a stirring time, God. I pray that we would be stirred enough to move. We would be moved enough to get moving, that people would be ignited in their faith to step out and see great things, to see the, the miraculous favor of God come upon what we're doing, Lord. Father God, I pray, Lord, over those who are sitting here today and, and maybe thinking, oh, well, I'm not sure what my thing is. Father, touch their hearts. Spirit of God, let your presence come and may that, that thing that you, are, that you have set aside for that person, Lord God, may it, may it flow, may it come, may it, may it be revealed. May it become clearer and clearer and clearer. Jesus, Lord, we are not those who shrink back. But God, we are those who step forward and believe. Father God, we're not waiting for the world to tell us to be bold and courageous. God, we want to be a people who show the world we believe in a great God. And we will be bold. We will be courageous. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.